This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, January 11th, 2023 edition, and we are halfway through the second trading week of the year. And to kick off today's show, I want to touch a bit on sentiment. And there are a lot of lessons that can be learned if you just study the history of headlines. Uh, there's the old adage, uh, you know, if it's on the cover of Time magazine, for example, that often marks a turning point in a particular asset class. Just think of, I think it was 07, 06, 07, when uh, it was on the cover, the housing market and the boom was all over the cover of Time magazine. And that's one way uh, to gauge sentiment. But there's an there's one that is less discussed, and it's athletes and celebrities. And you've seen that recently. Remember last year when you had Matt Damon saying fortune favors the brave when it comes to investing in cryptocurrency, and then uh, the entire space decided to crumble. And you also had football players, many athletes around the world, collecting their paychecks in Bitcoin. There's a famous one, I forget the name of the, the football player, but I think it was, was it Odell Beckham Jr.? I think it was, it was him, where he collected in Bitcoin, Bitcoin fell like 60%, then you take out taxes, he basically almost paid for played for free. <laughs> There's the story Giselle, Tom Brady's wife, soon to be ex-wife, current ex-wife, I don't know. Uh, but she, Brazilian, and I remember early 2000s, she wanted to get paid in Brazilian real because the dollar was in decline at that point. What did the dollar do? Rallied almost uh, directly from there. So that's another, talk about mindset, building the right habits. It's not chasing headlines, okay? Not chasing the shiny object. By the time it hits the headlines, it's too late. You kind of want to fade, honestly, that that sentiment. Especially when it bleeds into your common, everyday person who doesn't have any perspective, right? They're just chasing the recent market returns of that particular asset and they're extrapolating that out without understanding the ramifications of that shift right so sentiment is always good to follow and it's always good to have perspective and these headlines are often 
simply a gauge of the emotions of the average person when it comes to a particular asset class, whether that's real estate or equities or commodities or currencies. So that's what I'm here to help you do is build the habits, build the mindset to help you good, help you make good investment decisions consistently. Day after day, week after week, year after year. So I'm Justin Klein. I'm here on this radio show and podcast to help you develop the right strategies and the decision-making framework for you to reach your ultimate goal, which is financial freedom. I do this by answering your finance and investment questions, giving my perspective on you know current events. And the phone lines are always open, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 888-99-CHART. So I have a lot of material to discuss with you today. One is about inflation and how it maybe has not been tamed by the Fed. At least the one Fed member admits that there might be more pain ahead. We're going to look at Fed Governor Michelle Bowman and her comments that she recently made and what that means for Fed policy going into the CPI data tomorrow that's going to be released and ultimately the Fed meeting on the 1st of February. Now, time permitting, I also want to touch on an update from the World Bank, and they cut their global growth projections. So what are they saying? Also, SPACs. SPACs were a big thing in 2021 and early 2022, and we're going to get an update on that space. And then lastly, are they moving the goalpost on CPI? Well, they're talking about a new gauge of inflation. There's always the adjustments for stripping out food and energy, and they call that core inflation. Well, is there something called super core inflation? Well, some economists are starting to look at those type of numbers. So I think uh, I wanted to cover that. Now let's take a look at the market today. Actually, no, I want to touch on uh, your voice bank questions, what to expect coming up. BTI, we have one on that. And then AMAT, Applied Materials. And yeah, let's check in on the market today. So we had the S&P up about 50 points. Nice positive day. Getting into a bit of resistance here, going into the CPI number right around 4,000. We're at 39.69 at the close today on the S&P. Uh, I would not be surprised to see a little bit more upside over the next week or two. Uh, but I still expect a choppy first half of the year. So don't get too excited about rallies and don't get too dire when it comes when there is the inevitable sell-off because there will be uh, at points in this year. Now let's pivot over to our first caller question now. This is Lewis from Seattle. I'm calling about company SSNC Technologies, ticker symbol SSNC. I just bought some shares recently. I was looking to hold it long-term. But listening to your show, it sounds like you're suggesting to uh, step away from tech and invest into something else. Do you feel this company is worth sticking with? I don't have a big position with them. Is there a price point to look to, to jump in at some point? Or do you still consider buying tech again? If you have any uh, suggestions, I look forward to your answer. Thank you. All right. This is SSNC Technologies. And, you know, th this is one issue that 
you know, it's hard on the show, right? Because we can't bring up particular names, but we can talk about sectors and asset classes and things like that. And so, you know, when I speak broadly about tech or about any sector, I may be upbeat or negative on a particular sector, but it doesn't mean I hate every company within a particular sector. And there's a lot of nuances within sectors as well. So, you know, large mega cap tech is, is overowned and, and most of it's overpriced, but that doesn't mean that every tech company uh, is a bad investment. In fact, SSNC, this is actually a company that we own for clients and we really like and long-term uh, profitability is solid and enterprise value to EBITDA right now is at about 11 and a quarter. And what they do is just for everyone out there, you probably don't know what they do, but they're a software vendor for the financial services industry. In fact, we actually utilize one of their products for our clients. It's called Black Diamond. It's a portal where uh, clients can log in, see their accounts. We can uh, post things to, we can communicate through. It's it's a really nice portal uh, that, that we like. Uh, and so uh, this is a company that trades. It's not the high, fast grower, but it's consistent. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's starting to get into the healthcare space, healthcare uh, software as well. And that's certainly uh, helping their growth. Uh, but we like the name. So SSNC, while, you know, it's technically in the tech space, it's not one of those sexy ones. You know, the sexy tech names are typically the ones uh, in this market that are overvalued. They're less overvalued than they were a year ago, but most of them are still overvalued. But this is one that we find still relatively cheap. It's a consistent name, a consistent earner uh, when it comes to cash flows, return equity, return assets, et cetera. Uh, good balance sheet and a great business model. So uh, we like SSNC Technologies. Now we're heading into a quick break. I welcome your finance and investment questions now. No question is too simple or too complex. You set the agenda. So give us a call at 888 chart In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know Building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. With total downloads nearing 50 million, each InvestTalk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download, and hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real-time data research and years of investing experience. 24-7, rain or shine, during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the Invest Talk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. You set the agenda. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. It's a new year, but you've got finance and investment questions, so Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Now, my main focus point concerns the story behind this headline. Inflation has not been tamed, and the Fed admits there is more pain ahead. And this is news uh, or coming from Federal Reserve Governor Michelle Bowman, and she spoke this on Tuesday, which was yesterday, 
And she said, quote, in recent months, we've seen a decline in some measures of inflation, but we have a lot more work to do. So I expect the FOMC will continue raising interest rates to tighten monetary policy. Now, I don't think that is anything that's not already known by the market. The market is expecting a 25 basis point hike in February. In fact, if you look at the odds coming in right now at about 67%, which is up from last week's about 70%. That continues to be more priced in as economic data comes in and as Fed rhetoric moves ahead. Now, the big question will be more about March because even if we have a really, really slow CPI number tomorrow, I don't think there's going to be bad enough data to deter them from raising rates in February. But it's all about financial stability. So if you, you know, February, I'm sorry, March 22nd is a ways away. Talking over two months away. A lot can happen between now and then. And so if you look at the statements, which, you know, they're saying they're going to hike again. The minutes from the December meeting indicated that most members were on board with an additional hike. And they plan to get the Fed run funds rate slightly above 5%. Right now, it's at four and a quarter to 450. So after February, it's going to be 450 to 475. You know, when can they get that high? And the that's the big question before financial stability becomes more of an issue. Now, she sees elevated rates holding until there's a compelling sign that inflation has peaked and for more consistent indications that inflation is on a downward path before easing up on the restrictive policy. That's what she said. Problem is, you're actually paying attention. It's very clear that inflation has peaked and that it is on a downward path. That's clear. I don't know what else they need to see in order to to know that the large amount of rate increases, the 425 basis points that they've done in less than a year, and they started in March of last year, is biting on the economy and on inflation. So I think by the time you get to March of this year, they're going to get that evidence. So I have a strong suspicion that this next rate hike in February will be the last. Now, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell, he spoke on uh, yesterday as well, and he stressed the need for the Fed to be independent from politics. And I think they're going to continue to try to be, but ultimately the Fed's job is to keep the treasury market functioning, and that is what they're going to focus on keeping the government solvent, no matter who's in power, whether that's Republicans, Democrats, doesn't matter. And so while they want to be independent from that, ultimately, they're not going to risk financial instability. Those invest talk, the market is constantly changing and you must have finance investment questions that you want answered. So I'm here. Give me a call now on invest talk at 888-99-CHART.
one of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hey, Steve, Justin, Mark here from South Carolina. Love your show. Thank you for everything. I would like your guys' thoughts on British American Tobacco, DTI. It's been on my watch list for quite a while. I have owned it previously. It's come to a relatively lower level. Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks a lot. Are looking at British American Tobacco, UK-based manufacturer of tobacco products sold under more than 200 different brand names, including Kent's, Pall Mall, Lucky Strike, Rothmans, Newport's, Camel, uh, etc. And it sells e-cigarettes and it holds uh, a 31% stake in a leading Indian cigarette maker as well. So globally well-diversified, nice, solid, dividend about 7.7%. Consistently profitable and consistent cash flow. Um, it's good. It's good. Uh, definitely the type of name that you want to own in this environment. Uh, we think it's fairly valued uh, here around $38, uh, but it's oversold. So not a bad place to pick up BTI. All right. 88.99 chart. 88.992.4278. We're going to go to Kevin in the Bay Area. How are you, Kevin? Hi, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. What can I help you with? Good. Uh, I'm interested in starting a position in CSL. Uh, I like the industry that they're in, the context of uh, deglobalization. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that their uh, dividend is very safe and has a lot of room to, to grow over the next few years with the rate that their revenue and, and earnings are going up. Okay. Let's see. It. Car, this is Carlisle Companies, manufacturing and sells rubber and plastic engineer products. Okay. Roofing systems, wires, cables, connectors, industrial materials, mainly used in construction, transportation. Interesting. Okay. So it's more than half its revenue is earned in the United States. So it looks like it's globally diversified. Half of it is earned outside the United States. Uh, so I think that's, that's a good thing. Uh, earnings are starting to revert to the mean. I think that's the biggest worry here. Uh, you know, they made six, uh, $8.30 in 2019, small dip in 2020, as expected, $9.44 mm-hmm. in 2021, but supposed to make 19 almost $20 per share last year once they report the fourth quarter earnings. And this year, earnings are earnings supposed to slow down to 4%. Probably will that turn to negative, most likely, right? There's going to be a reversion to the mean here. Uh, but I like the space that you're looking at. It's a diversified industrial name. Let me look at the chart. Uh, that's the issue here is it made a lower low in November from mm-hmm. its June lows. And this chart pattern is not exactly bullish. And that's what worries me. If this can recapture the 100-day moving average, which was pretty good support uh, through its uptrend, then I might start considering it again. But it just today recaptured the 50-day. The 100 isn't all the way until about 267. Currently, it's at 246. So it's got a ways to go technically. And I would need to have some comfort in where this is going to level out at from an earnings perspective. 
if it can level out around twenty dollars per share, a twelve forward PE, I think that's pretty good. But currently they're over earning. If you look at their return equity, it's about thirty two percent. Long term, their average return equity is around nineteen percent, which is still very good. So I like what you're looking at. I like the company. I just worry that there's. I, I feel that there's more reversion to the mean here, and thus more downside because it reverts back to closer to ten dollars per share in earnings. Suddenly, two forty is way too expensive for this name. It probably needs to be revalued into the one fifties, right? Somewhere in that range. So, I would keep it on my watch list because it is the type of name I'd want to own, but. I don't like the the setup, the backdrop here uh, for this name. All right. Thanks for the call. Now let's play another caller question from 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve or Justin. This is Randy from Tampa, Florida. I wanted to ask if you guys had any recommendations on good applied materials stocks. I'm looking at AMAT. Currently, it's trading around 107. I would love to get your opinion on that stock. Thank you so much. All right, looking at applied materials, this is in the semiconductor space. It's the world's largest supplier of semiconductor manufacturing equipment. Now, here's the problem. The industry is going through an oversupply. I know just a year or so ago, it was all about un- it w- there was a chip shortage. And there's not a chip shortage anymore. There's actually too much capacity. Chip makers overbuilt capacity and now that goods demand is back to normal levels they're not going to have as many orders and you can see that with uh, earnings expectations this year down 12 percent from last year now the positive long term is reshoring of or not reshoring i don't know if we ever did a ton of uh, semiconductor manufacturing here in the u.s but that's what the chip act is supposed to do trying to get more uh more foundries here produced so that we aren't relying on Taiwan and overseas production of chips. So applied materials longer term is going to benefit from that. But near term, I think there's too many headwinds. Uh, but a good name to, to look to buy, if this can uh, get a double bottom back in the you know, in the 70s, I think this is a buy. But here it's a bit overbought. So I would pass on it, but keep it on my watch list. Now the next and best stock, the story behind this question. What are the bucket portfolios and how did they perform in 2022? We'll get to that story tomorrow, but for now, give me a call at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, We need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools, 
to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, the World Bank has cut its 2023 global growth projections, and they now downgraded their expectations for world growth to 1.7% for the year. That's down from a 3% estimate for the year in June. That's the third weakest pace of global growth in nearly three decades. The only other two years that will be slower in the past, 2009 and 2020. Now, that's a good good way to look at this. Because remember, 2009, what was that? That was the market bottom. 2020, also market bottom, right? So you can look at this as a positive or, or a negative, or I look, I'd rather look at it as a positive. Market likely to bottom sometime this year. And that doesn't mean it can be from a lower level. It could be a lower level than we bottomed back in October, but a reason for optimism. Now, the forecasted growth rate only narrowly keeps the global economy out of a recession. Because typically, if it's below population growth, that is considered a global recession. Okay. Now, economists project both here in the U.S. and parts of Europe, to probably slip into recession in 2023. But China and emerging markets, they typically grow faster than the developed markets. They will keep the global economy from slipping into negative growth, most likely. Now, the World Bank forecasts forecasts U.S. GDP growth will increase 0.5% from last year. For the full year. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be in a remember, recessions two quarters. So you can have growth for the full year, but fall into a recession for part of that year. They expect China's GDP to go from 2.7 last year to 4.3% this year. And emerging and developed economies to expand about 3.4% for the year. Russia expected to contract by about 3.3%. That's after contracting about 3.5% last year. And they expect uh, global central banks to continue to tighten rates to bring down inflation, but probably pause at some point. Now, in November, global inflation, by their measures, about four-fifths of global economic output, this is the OECD countries, inflation was about 9% which is down from 9.5 in October. That was the first drop since August of 2021. So they're seeing 
inflation peaking as well. Now there's the China reopening. There's some positives and some negatives in that. Positive is supply chains will be more open, right? Less shutdowns of factories in the service sector. But it also means higher demand for end products from Chinese consumers. And there's a lot of them. Right? And more activity within the real estate space. So demand for physical commodities, copper, oil. And so it's probably what you should expect in the near term, where you're seeing a rally in copper, where you're seeing a bit of a rally in oil. But they also say that with economies so slow, there can be some sort of adverse shock that pushes this deeper into a global recession or actually into a global recession, excuse me. You could have more Sri Lankas kind of blowing up, right, with their finances and slow other faster growing economies. And that could bring down global growth as well. So very interesting little update from the World Bank uh, and kind of reflects what we've been saying. Mild recession in 2023, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Let's put it back to the Vestock Voice Bank to play a question that came in earlier from a listener in New York. Hi, Duncan from New York. Thank you for everything that you do. I am now trying to get a little bit into industrials with uh, your thesis that you mentioned about last year that things will be different this year. So what I'm doing is I'm looking at two ETFs, VIS, Vanguard, and RGI. The only thing that I can really tell is that the VIS has more small cap weighted equities for industrials and RGI has a little bit higher, but RGI has a bigger expense ratio. So I just wanted your two cents about that too. And uh, hopefully you can squeeze these two last questions in. But like, would also Union Pacific just be a good like uh, single equity play? And do you think that within the next year, like industrials would do well? Thank you very much. And looking forward to the answer. Bye. Well, I do think industrials will do well. You're looking at two different industrial ETFs, and I think that's good. The difference, VIS is a lot more concentrated, uh, or at least concentrated on the, on the, on the top end, uh, whereas RGI, that's more equal weights. I kind of like that, that it's equal weights, about 70 different names. So that's a positive. They're both kind of in the, the border of mid and, and large cap. So there's not, uh, let me see here, that actually... Yeah, they're both very similar in their their setup. Um, I don't really see a whole lot of difference here, except for one is more equal weight. Um, so I'm going to go with the equal weight one via RGI. I know the, the expense ratio is slightly higher. I just like that. I like that equal weight uh, overall. You're talking about 0.4% expense ratio versus 0.1. Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty significant. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of splitting hairs here. It depends on what you're looking for. Um, I like RGI better. I'll pay the, the little higher expense ratio to get that weight. Um, and then you touched on Union Pacific. I think we had a call on this recently, so you might want to go back in uh, the last week or two in, in shows. We did have a call on Union Pacific. To sum it up, basically I said, 
they did very well in an era of importing everything from China. And our trade surplus is, or trade deficit is shrinking. And so is we bring more manufacturing here to the U.S., are they going to do quite as well? Remember, Union Pacific is focused on the western part of the United States, the railroad. So I think there's better industrials that are going to benefit from deglobalization, reshoring manufacturing. And Union Pacific, I think it'll do fine, but uh, it's not going to get those tailwinds uh, that reshoring is going to benefit for or do for uh, many other uh, industrial names. So I like the ETFs you talked about, but not Union Pacific. Thanks for the call. Now the calendar says 2023. I know it's crazy, right? And that means you need to reassess your financial future and update your strategies so that you can achieve your own version of financial freedom. So if you need help understanding where you are, where you're going, whether those two things align with your ultimate goals and your concerns. Well, I encourage you to reach out to myself or CPs at our company, KP Financial, where we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. And we offer the same philosophy, which is independent thinking and shared success. So, you can head over to investtalk.com or give our office a call at 800 5461 and set up a free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. Just head over there, investtalk.com. The sooner you contact us, the sooner you can get your portfolio optimized. Now, this is Invest Talk, now with more than 48.7 million downloads. Thanks to you and your friends, and thanks for spreading the word. Next up, we'll tackle another listener question. So hang on. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. Question about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. Steve and Justin are fearless. So don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Hi, InvestTalk. I wanted to see if you could do an analysis on the company GlaxoSmithKline, or GSK. I believe that's the new name and the ticker. Medicare recently updated its plan to where now patients are um, they have the ability to get vaccines, specifically shingles, which is a GSK vaccine, at a discounted price. I work in healthcare, so usually I know their co-pays for patients are sometimes near 200 bucks, which was a huge barrier. And with them passing this new legislation, you know, patients now have access to that drug in particular. I'm looking to see if you feel like this is a good um, a good opportunity. I haven't heard you guys talk too much about drug manufacturers on the show too much. There's also updates with this Medicare legislation where, you know, patients can get insulins now at capped costs. I believe it's $35, where, again, it's can be sometimes upwards of 100. So, you know, if you don't like GSK, perhaps if there's other opportunities that you guys have seen within this industry, I don't have any healthcare exposure. And so I'm just looking to see if with this new legislation, it presents an opportunity in the, the upcoming year. I'm looking forward to your guys' answer. Thanks for all your help. I appreciate it, guys. All right, good update there, uh, especially when you're in the industry, you know, these, uh, these type of intricacies. 
And that certainly is, is going to help uh, GSK. The issue, though, with a lot of these little rule changes and the impact on the business is usually it's small. Right? GSK is a company that has that does $8.7 billion, billion with a B, every single quarter. So the big question is, yeah, there'll be some Medicare changes. How many people are really going to sign up for this new you know, shingles vaccine? Uh, you might have more information on that, but it's probably going to be a drop in the bucket, to be honest with you. Now, what's more interesting to me is there's a Zantac lawsuit that the market has punished it for uh, that's likely to be very, very minor, even if it, it uh, rules in their favor uh, or rules against them, excuse me, that damages are going to be minimal compared to the market value loss. So um, I think that's really a better reason to say kind of what is that difference uh, between the two. Uh, and the technicals are starting to, to look pretty good. It, it did uh, kind of crater in August and September, found a low in late September, and it's been uh, steadily moving higher uh, well and above the 50-day moving average. And as long as it holds that, I think it, it could can make a round trip to where it was uh, back in the low 40s uh, before this litigation. And we're at about 34 and change at the close today. So I still think there's more upside. But And so I give this a thumbs up. I think it's relatively cheap, but not necessarily for the reasons you're talking about. Uh, it's because that's probably a drop in the bucket uh, from the $8.7 billion that they do every single quarter. But good question and good name. That was GlaxoSmithKline GSK. Let's go to Bill in the Bay Area looking at Philip Morris. Excuse me. All true. Yeah. Um, right, exactly. I have. Um a real small position in this and I, I hadn't been watching it recently. And then I kind of, I wanted to add to my position, but uh, in the dividend portfolio, I just wonder your opinion on it overall. And would you be un underweight, equal weight in the dividend portfolio? And would you buy it at this price point or would you wait for another pullback dollar or two? Maybe. Here's my issue with Altria. It's domestic. This is the, Remember, Altria or Phil Moore split off into Altria, the domestic tobacco maker. And then you have the old Phil Morris, which is Phil Morris International. It's all about the international uh, consumer of cigarettes. And if you were to guess, Bill, do you think that the growth of cigarette sales abroad is better or worse than the growth of cigarette sales here in the U.S.? What would you What would you guess, Bill? Yeah, that's a good point. Probably not in the U.S., yeah. Not in the U.S. Um, I, I'm just wondering, well, my, my question about in, in regards to that then would be not, um, I guess your point, this versus the other stock, but supposing you had both and you had some of this, but do you think, their sales in this country are sustainable without actually growing? Can they maintain this dividend just keeping a steady business versus a, an increased business? Well, the, the, the good thing, I guess you could call it, uh, with the business of tobacco is the margins. They're, they, have, they have sticky consumers. Uh, I don't smoke. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life, mainly because my mom smokes currently and uh, my grandma used to smoke, and I saw the damages that that caused. Um, but I, I, I know that cigarette packs prices have 
continue to go up. Now, part of that is taxes. It's very easy to pass taxes. To, let's just tax the uh, cigarette uh, uh, users more than uh, you know other parts of the economy. Um, but if you look at the margins on Philip Morris or on Altria, excuse me, continues to be very strong and, and, and going higher, actually. So I, I, it's less about volume. Volume is going to drop. They're going to continue to see cigarette smokers uh, fall you know, 2%, 3% per year. Uh, but their margins, they're going to make that up in, in higher margins. That's basically what they've done. Their margins have gone up while their sales have, have gone down. Uh, overall, their ending free cash flow has remained you know, relatively steady over the last decade. They have about the same free cash flow trailing 12 months as they did back in 2005. So I, I, I don't see a problem with them paying uh, that dividend. It's just not a name that I would put more capital towards at the current time. Thanks for the call. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So give us a call now at 888 chart Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to take on your finance and investment questions. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. I had a question for the podcast on uh, what sectors would you say are best to be kind of deploying my cash into? I do a small amount of dollar cost averaging each month, and I have established stocks in, in the different sectors. I'm just curious of what your guys' opinions are on which sectors I should be trying to dedicate most of my cash to right now. Look forward to hearing it on the podcast. Uh, this is a pretty easy one. Number one would be industrials, industrial sector uh, that is going to continue to benefit from reshoring manufacturing. And there's just a, a lot of great names uh, within that space that are uh, undervalued overall. Number two would be energy. Energy prices have pulled back uh, and uh, I think uh, at a buy point. Uh, longer term, you're going to have the supply of Russia coming, continue to come offline as our Western technology is taken out of there, and our Western workers from all the big service oil service names like Schlumberger and Halliburton are no longer working, and so ultimately the flow of oil from there and, uh, and natural gas is going to slow over time. Uh, so that's number two. And then third, probably basic materials. Uh, there's a lot of the great names uh, within that space uh, that are starting to perk up again after the pullback and the dollar's weakening. And all of a, a weakening dollar is going to help all three of those sectors. Fourth or fifth would probably be financial services. And then lastly, hmm. yeah, I'm going to say those four. I don't want to give you another one. Thanks for the call. Let's touch on SPACs. SPACs were all the rage about, oh, 18 months ago. They were the blank check, blank check vehicles. And it was really a reverse merger, which has been around for a long time. They kind of slapped a new sexy name on them, called them Special Purpose Acquisition Corporations. It's just a, a bag of money. 
And it was an easy way for smaller companies to be listed on exchanges without the expense and uncertainty of an IPO. But the DSPAC ETF was down 75% last year. Yeah, 7.5. Most of those companies, they missed forecast. Some of them that, per- that actually went through with a SPAC, they de-SPAC, meaning their, their ticker symbol changed. And they're an operating publicly traded company. They're already bankrupt. Some of them. Now, the SPAC sponsors, they've lost, a lot of them have lost their entire investment because they haven't been able to find a good deal. The average loss for SPAC founders from liquidation has been around $9 million. And sponsors incurred about $750 million in losses in December alone because they wound up their SPAC by year end. And remember, how SPAC works is the sponsors. They front the money to get get the SPAC public through the investment banks. And they get paid back when there's a deal. They get a promote. They get 20% typically of the deal. Cover their costs and then some. But that also creates a conflict of interest, meaning, hey, if you don't consummate some sort of a deal, you have two years to do it. You're going to lose a bunch of money. So what happens is they consummate bad deals. They skimp on due diligence. They inflate forecasts. And they fail to disclose important business risks in order to get the deal and the merger pushed through. And this is all, once again, yesterday. Remember I talked yesterday about incentives? This is an example of when the incentive structures are misaligned and the interests are misaligned between the sponsors and the shareholders. And now there's a ton of lawsuits lining up. And about $700 billion and 300 different SPACs have deadlines in the first half of this year. And a lot of them are going to throw some Hail Mary passes to try to get deals done. But ultimately, that opens them up to litigation. And there's a lot of SEC enforcement and lawsuits going on right now. And you're going to see a lot more. So... The debacle in the SPAC space is not over. It's still ongoing, and there's a lot more pain ahead in that area. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes, which helps us raise our profile and help spread the word. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.
Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.